It's been so far, and it's going to be quite a year in the Kelly household. Every now and then stuff happens, and Betsy says, uh, in the, uh, this week in the Kelly household, and there'll be some big dramatic report. <clears throat> the report today for you is, my wife Betsy just turned 40 on May the 31st. She did that, yeah. She did that on top of the Eiffel Tower. Not many of you can say that. She's always done things a little different. Uh, she was there almost at midnight on uh, her birthday, and so uh, had a great time getting to see uh, Bailey there and, and with, with uh, Grant along with her as well. And then last Sunday, I told you that uh, one of my sons was proposing while we were in church last Sunday. Uh, after the fact, I thought, oh, wow, I said that on recorded audio stuff. What if she says no? Um, happy to report to you that she uh, said yes. And so the proposed, the engagement party carried on as planned, and we got to celebrate. Um, so now two of my boys are engaged to be married. Jonas and Nate are engaged and will be married within the next year. Jonas in early September. Remember that time frame, please. Early September. Um, and then one of my daughters, Hannah, is um, leaving, Lord willing, if uh, all her support comes in. And thank you for uh, all, many of you and, and as a church, all that uh, you're doing there to help. Uh, also be leaving in early September. Remember, I told you that's an important time in the next few months. Early September to to teach missionary children, uh, special needs missionary children in Indonesia uh, indefinitely. And so then my other uh, daughter, Karis, is going to be starting a year-round lease in an apartment in Athens in August. That's before early September. Um, and our son Bailey uh, is in his third year in the Air Force, serving in Germany, and he uh, will get to come home maybe a couple of times actually this year. So this, I'm, I'm trying to end on the positive note, uh, and, and one of those times will be early September, um, that he gets to come home, so that'll be good. And our son Grant uh, will be officially a teenager in not early September, November. Man, time flies. Uh, it just, it just, life's wide open. Um, I have no idea what Betsy and I are doing because we've got six kids and that's about all we can keep up with. Um, there's just this ruthlessness to time that demands that we spend what we have while today is still called today. We better live today because it'll be early September before we know it. By the way, about early September, I was just going to tell you. So here's what's going to happen in early September. I'm going to be on the verge of a nervous breakdown. You won't see me the first Sunday in September, and I'm going, If depending on how all this comes out, I'll, you probably won't see me on the second Sunday of September. Um, I told Betsy, we're going to put all these kids that are getting married and leaving, we're going we're to get them out the door or on an airplane, and we're getting on one. And we're going to Colorado and hide in the Rockies for a while. Uh, Psalm 90, 12 says this, teach us to realize the brevity of life. Some translations say to number our days so that we may grow in wisdom. We need to realize how short life is, don't we? So that we can understand how we should best live. St. Austin said of this verse, we can never do that, what Psalm 90 verse 12 says, except we number every day as our last 
day. Did you live yesterday the way you would want to live your last day? Because here's the deal. Today could be indeed your last day. That's how short life is. That's how fast time moves by. That's how fragile life is on the other hand. We really should live today as if our It was our last day. That, according to the Word of God, Psalm 90, verse 12, is true wisdom. And so, dads, just want to talk to you for a few minutes. I want want this message to encourage you more than anything. I was reading something this week. It says, you know, on Mother's Day, preachers tell mothers how wonderful they are. And then on Father's Day, preachers tell fathers to get their act together. (laughs) I'm going to try not to do that today. I want to encourage you guys. I'm I'm right there with you. So I want us, while I hope to challenge you, I do want to encourage you in this thing. Dad, on this Father's Day and every day, what does that mean? This, This reality about time, what does it mean for your relationship first and foremost with God and then with your kids right here and right now? You know, I believe that most dads want their kids to have the best life possible. Most dads, we know not all. Kyle's already referred to that. It's not true for every every dad. But most dads that you and I know want the best life possible for their kids. I believe most dads want their kids to have fullness of joy and have hearts that are satisfied and content. I believe most dads want their kids to live life to its absolute fullest. But I think that Far too often, even us church-going, professing Christian dads get confused and cloudy on what the very best life really is. My title for the message this morning is this, Give Your Kids the Very Best. And the take-home truth is this, how do you give your kids the very best? You do it by convincing your kids of life's greatest pleasure by your enjoyment of that pleasure, namely, by your enjoyment of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And so just at the beginning of the message, dads, does your life convince your kids that the the highest pleasure in the whole world, the very best life, is enjoying God's grace in Jesus as your richest treasure? I didn't ask if you've ever told them that. I asked, did your life, does your life convince them that what you've told them is true? We're created with the capacity of captivation. We talk about being captivated by Christ all the time. Why? Because it is extremely important. Something will fill your capacity for captivation. It could be money. It could be power, it could be fame, success. You just go down the list of those things that that fill our capacity for captivation, but anything less than Jesus himself and our joy in him will never satisfy. We were created with a capacity of captivation, and only God himself and the person of Jesus Christ can eternally captivate our souls. Psalm 16 verse 11 says this way, the, the psalmist David talking, you, can, you make known to me the path of life. God, he's talking to God and he says, you make known to me the path of life. You, you, you show me what, not just how to live, but what life's all about. In your presence, listen, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you know the Bible tells us in this verse where to find all the joy we can ever for eternity need. Did you know the Bible tells you there is a place where you can have pleasure that never ends? 
you know, sometimes we think about God's Word, and we think that this book is all about do's, don'ts, box your life into some religious deal that, that, you, that you may or may not enjoy, doesn't really matter ultimately. And yet right here in Psalm 16, David looks at God, his father, and he says, God, we're made for you. At, in your presence is fullness of joy. You know, we don't have to spend our lives running the world over trying to figure out where that is, where fullness of joy is, because everybody wants fullness of joy. Uh, We all want pleasures forevermore, and we don't have to run hard to figure that out. It's not not some mystery. It's stated right here in the presence of God and at His right hand. You see, dads, that's how we give our kids the very best in life, convincing them by our enjoyment of him, that indeed God's grace in Jesus, a relationship with God through Christ, is the very best life has to offer. Psalm 27, verse 4, the psalmist would pray one thing. Is this, is this how we think, dads? Is this, listen, to the, let, let this challenge your heart. One thing I've asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? What was the point in being in that place called the temple? Uh, there, as, as David wrote this, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That's one thing that he wanted. He wanted to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Listen to what I'm saying. If this is not serving God that is the most satisfying thing in all of life. No, it is gazing at the beauty of God in Jesus Christ, specifically through the gospel. Well, here's the deal. You don't have to come to this building because this is not a temple. You are the temple if you know Jesus today. Like David had to go to the temple in his day. You don't have to do that. How do you gaze? And you, when, when I start picking this book up, you, you should figure that out pretty quick. How do you gaze at the beauty of the Lord? Through an open Bible. Day after day. Learning more of him through his word. All the way through from cover to cover. Learning about the beauty and the, and the mercy and grace and love and righteousness of God in Christ. This book is about Jesus. Which, is, which shows us the apex, the very pinnacle of the glory of God and, and, and shows us, in, in, in like, like nothing else, Jesus revealed to us, like nothing else, the beauty of the heart of God. And so we gaze upon that beauty through the Word of God. Now, here's the deal, Dad. If this isn't happening on a daily basis in our lives, why would we expect, and when I say, talking about this, that is us with an open Bible gazing on the beauty of Jesus. If that's not happening on a daily basis in our lives, then why would we expect our kids to truly believe and live as if there is no greater pleasure in life than enjoying the beauty of God in Jesus Christ? You see, that expectation makes no sense. If we're not convincing them with our lives, let me ask you another question. Have your kids ever caught you having your daily time with the Lord with an open Bible and in prayer? Now, here's the thing. I understand your kids sleep late. You get up early. You go to work, so forth. So maybe they've actually, up to this point, have not seen that. But, but here's what I can also tell you. If they don't know where that happens, if they don't see any evidence that you have a Bible or open a Bible or spend any special time with Jesus in a Bible, with the Bible open, then it's probably because you're not, Right? And dads, they're not going to if you don't. They might by the grace of mama, but are we really going to be those kind of men that let mama handle all that? 
not the kind of man Jesus was. So I just want to encourage you to be in the Word. Gaze at His beauty. Psalm 73, verse 25, the psalmist prayed to God, Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. Can we pray that with honesty this morning? My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God, David said, remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Now the translation says he is my portion. He's my inheritance. If I don't get anything else out of this world and I have him, I've got all I need, not just for this life, but for eternity. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 5. These, by, by the way, write these, these references down, dads. Go back to these. Uh, all of us, together as believers, go back to these. Make these prayers your prayer until you can pray them and mean the words that are being said here. Uh, Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. Again, how do you do that? Through an open Bible. My soul thirsts for you. You know, what you're, you know what you really want when you're running after that other thing? That money, that power, that success, whatever it is. You're, you're wanting God himself. That's what you were created to have. David says, my soul thirsts for you. My whole, body, my whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 3 was amazed by the Father's love. He agreed with the psalmist that, 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 that your unfailing love is better than life. He, he wrote in, in John three, in 1 John 3, verse 1, see what great father, what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know him is that it, know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Hallelujah. I look forward to that day, don't you? All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Verse 16 of that same chapter tells us this is how we know what love is. This is how, dads, we know how to love anybody in the world. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's what love does. That's what real love is. So we have a good, good father, Scripture reveals. All these Psalms, 1 John 3, who gave his son to save us from our sins and make us sons and daughters of the living God who can boldly run to him for grace, to help in time of need and and know that we will never be forsaken by our heavenly daddy. Isn't that awesome? What a salvation we have. What a personal, family, child-to-father relationship we have through Jesus Christ. And because of this hope, we should continually, John says, we should continually be purifying ourselves. Not to earn the relationship we have, 
But because we've been given the gift of, of being able to, of having all of our sins forgiven, being counted as righteous as Jesus is, and thereby being able to call holy, holy, holy God our Abba Father. So we should be busy purifying ourselves, not to earn it, but out of gratitude and thanks. In, in an act of respect and honor for the one who so loved us. Getting ready for Jesus to come back because he's coming. And we want to be ready. Again, our purification doesn't earn. We're, we're, we're ready for his coming, but we want to be found busy about his business. Amen? I mean, when, if Jesus were to show up, on a Tuesday at 2.30, don't you hope you would be in the middle of, of being a faithful employee, being an active witness, being a loving neighbor or husband or wife or friend, doing, doing something that God had called us and, and, it, and commands us to do. Wouldn't you hope that's where you'll be when he, when he pops into time? Oh, may we be ready. And dads, for us, this means living so that our love for Jesus is clearly our supreme joy and passion. And the way it'll be clear is, and, and revealed is both in our words and our deeds. Our priorities that flow out into actions and schedules. Now hear me, this is not some legalism of religion. What we're talking about is a gospel-centered joy that drives your life because you can't help but have it dictate your priorities and, 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 and set your schedule. So beautiful is your Father to you. So, love, so amazing is His love. Paul kind of talked about these things this way, and this is how we ought to think and talk in Philippians 3, 7. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Is that the kind of math we do on a daily basis? What is more, I consider everything, by the way, even the good things in life that aren't sin until they become idols. Hello? Everybody all right? Yeah. Paul says, I consider everything, even the good things in life, a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. Listen to this, I consider them NIV says garbage. Can, can we just translate it according, according to those faithful Greek? I consider all things dung. Everybody, are we clear on what that word is? Yeah. You know that little brown emoji on your phone? That's what it is. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Dad, does our life convince our kids of life's greatest pleasure because they clearly see that our greatest enjoyment is found not, listen to me, not even in family, wife, and kids, but supremely in Jesus, Francis Chan says statistics show that the vast majority of kids who grow up in nice, comfortable church-going homes where family is idolized walk away 
from the church once they turn 18, never to return. In many of these cases, the kids love their parents. There's no question about that relationship, but they don't love Jesus because they eventually get to the age where they can reason logically just like you and me as adults and ask themselves, why we spent so much time playing as a family and so little time in prayer and worship of the God who they have been told is all satisfying. And furthermore, when we knew that so many around the world do not have the joy in Jesus and are dying only to stand condemned before holy God because they rejected him. And our kids see the gap between our supposed beliefs and our actions, and they just simply decide, Chan says, not to join the hypocrisy. There's two things we've got to be careful of. We don't need to idolize family. And dads, here's, here's the other thing. You don't need to let your kids idolize you. We've got a dad problem in America, and it's one we cannot fix because the ache for father is the ache for the heavenly father. And if we're the terminal point in filling that desire, that is a legitimate desire. Kyle's talked about it. But you heard Kyle wrap up, didn't you? Kyle has found the end of his longing in his heavenly father. Now, does that still that mean as even as a, as a, well, I think he's just a little bit older than me, but I'm not going to play with that right now. Um, <laughs> As a grown man, that he still doesn't long for a relationship with his father? Of course not. We're human. But it means that his longing for father has been fulfilled through the Lord Jesus Christ and the relationship he has with Almighty God. Dads, we can't let us be the end either. In 1 Samuel 2 verse 29, God rebukes Eli the priest And he says, why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? And I'm sure at this point, Eli thought, what are you talking about? And then he says this. How how was Eli scorning basically the temple worship? He asked this question next, God does. Why do you honor your sons more than me? By fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel. Now, When God said that, then Eli knew because he'd already been talking to his boys about sleeping with women at the gate, at 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 the entrance to the tabernacle. You see, Eli had allowed his sons to ignore God's directions for worship and let them defile the tabernacle with their self serving practices that included keeping for themselves, as this passage says, the best offerings, the best of their time and energy and offering that were intended for God. And by seeing to their own pleasure above pleasing God, even engaging in sexual immorality right outside, the scriptures tell us the entrance to the tabernacle. And Eli, as the, as the priest and the father, just turned a blind eye. Oh, God, help us not to idolize our kids, honoring them more than we honor God. Because if we do that, dads, that's exactly how they'll raise their families. God himself pursues his own glory more than anyone in the world, pursues the glory of God because as a good, good father, here's what you can know. God knows he himself is the greatest need we have and he's the ultimate pleasure for our souls. And so he works over time to give us himself. 
Isaiah 43, verse 25, talks about God's heart. He says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. You know, God doesn't save us. God doesn't deal with our sins just so we don't go to hell. Do you get that in that verse? He says, I blot out your sins for my sake. Why? So that you will praise the one who blotted out your sins through the sacrifice of his own son. So that you will find in me your greatest satisfaction as you feed on my mercy and grace. John 12, verse 27. Jesus said, now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He's about to go to the cross and die for you and me. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, here's the reason, it's what it's all about. When we think of the cross, we think of, we think of how he paid the debt for us, right? He did. How he atoned for our sins, right? He did. But here's what it's ultimately about. For this purpose I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. When everything's over and, and the atonement's made, God makes sure that your name gets the glory for the grace and the mercy that comes to a myriad of believers who will trust in me as their only hope. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Jesus, through your life I've glorified it and when you go to the cross, I'm going to glorify my name again. You have been faithful to point men, women, boys, and girls to me as their ultimate hope. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, dad, very familiar verse, but just encourages, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, dads, if you're coaching your kids in sports, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We cannot push back the hands of time, but we can, in the power of the resurrection of Jesus and dwelling spirit, move forward and be dads that convince our kids of life's greatest pleasure by our enjoyment of God's grace in Jesus personally. I'm so thankful that there is grace for me in my fatherly failings. My fathering sins and failures, your misplaced priorities as dads, listen to me, That's why we read Romans 8 at the beginning of this service. This is the very reason, so we could wrap it up just like this. None of those things can separate you, sir, from God's love for us in Jesus. Even as we read from the Word of God. So I, so you, can right now, in this moment, run to God in prayer and agree with Him about our sin. We can do it every day when we blow it as fathers. We can embrace His grace and love afresh, and hear me, without hesitation or wallowing in any kind of embarrassment for our past and our mistakes, our misplaced priorities, whatever it might be, we can admit our failure to our wives and kids as we stand up fresh and ready to lead them to find satisfaction and joy and everlasting pleasure in Jesus by helping them know our Father's love more and more, as well as honor His love that Jesus was sent to die for. Dads and all men, whether you're a father or not, we can be gospel-saturated men who convince our kids in the next generation 
of life's greatest pleasure by our enjoyment of God's grace in Jesus. And I said, I included men who weren't fathers for the very reason that Kyle said earlier. There's men in this church who weren't his father, who fathered his heart. And men here today, even if you don't have children, maybe your children are not here, and yet you have the opportunity to encourage young men, young teenage boys. Man, we can be gospel-saturated men who convince our kids and the next generation of life's greatest pleasure. Listen to what I'm saying. How do you influence the next, the next generation for Jesus? Just love Jesus. Just stay drunk on the gospel. Hello? I'm calling you to the, to the highest pleasure the world could possibly know. And that is a personal relationship with Jesus. And if you'll do that, hear me, more than teaching, it'll, it'll catch. It'll be caught more than taught. When they see how much you love Jesus. So how we do? Your dads feel beat up or encouraged. I hope you feel encouraged. I hope you feel encouraged to run to the fountain of living water and just drink and drink. I hope you feel encouraged to go to the table with the best steak and potatoes. I mean, the biggest spread, the richest meal your soul could ever eat and just eat and keep eating. Because when we do that, dads, our kids will see. That's worth giving my life to. There's pleasure there that never ends. There's joy there that's far bigger than anything else this world has to give. Let's pray.